This place is Hawthorne House. One of those old estates up the coast. There was quite a rage about 80 years ago, and uh, it's been rumored to be haunted for, well, the last 20 years or so, based on what you could tell from local newspaper clippings, teenagers claiming all of these weird lights in the night, and noises and banging and things like that. It seems like the right sort of place to re-enter the stage of exorcism. Because frankly, well, the old you would have dusted it off before breakfast, but it is amazing how quickly you get rusty. Not you in particular, I'm using the general, but still. Yes, I found myself uh, spending a lot of time going through my old books on exorcism, planning and plotting and gathering materials that I think I might need to pull this off. Okay, well, you're on your way to the quartermaster to see why they didn't give you the 13 silver spikes that you asked for when uh, you pass Garnack in the hall. Garnack, you're on your way to work. You've just had breakfast and are finishing it as you go. Hey, Joe, how you doing? Uh, uh, do, doing fine, Garnack. Pardon me. Uh, just on my way to see the quartermaster. Nice, nice. I'll come with you. Oh, uh, certainly. Please do. So I'm just chewing loudly and licking my fingers and enjoying every second of this thing and whatever it is that I'm eating and just kind of follow along with them. So where are we going? Stop, squeak, stop, squeak, stop, squeak, stop, squeak. You can always tell when Garnack is coming because that foot of his is continually squeaky. It touches down on anything with a stomp. And then there's that squeak for whatever reason. He must be able to fix it, yet you can always hear him coming. Garnack, this morning over your third bagel with locks, uh, while you were waiting for them to refill the bacon, that math that you stayed up all night adjusting the harmonics, those theories that you've been working on, it, it just came to you. This is largely why you've been walking around waiting for Juro to come out of his office. Garnack, I don't mean to be rude, but is is there anything you can do to fix the the squeaking from that? It's not broken. Well, no, but it, it it's fun it and it, it may be perfectly functional. But I don't know if it it's very squeaky. Right, and oh. Well, if that's part of the design, then I have no complaints. I sort of shrug and kind of keep going. It's like, so, when are you going on your field trip? That's just the thing of it. I don't know yet. I need certain materials. I have to pull out certain books. I don't even know where to start at this point. I have to do a, a foray, yeah, an initial foray to see what, what sort of haunting we're going to be dealing with. I want to get some local lore, see if there's anybody around who can possibly point me in the right direction. It's, it's been a few years. Okay, a couple of things. Welcome to Runelanders. I'm Matt Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master, and so it's my job to let you know that Runelanders contains mature themes, adult content, coarse language and things that might offend sensitive listeners. And so, listener discretion is strongly advised. Now, if that sort of thing is your sort of thing, then thrill to these tales of terror in a town called Tallwater, far away in the West. It's the sort of place that has a space for the good and the bad and the worst and the best, and the sane and the mad and the cursed and the blessed. If not at its university, at least in its menagerie. What weirdness will these academic adventurers uncover in this Eldritch episode?
Well, I could tell you, but we'd rather show you we're the Runelanders. This is Tallwater Tales. So get ready, Runatics, and let's roll. Okay, a couple of things. One, you do realize not all of us are immortal, right? Uh, yes. Good. And second, neither is your job, man. Um, at some point, we're going to have to get going a little bit quicker than that. I'm saying we might want to combine, like, steps one through four there into uh, one little venture. Including, you know, well most likely going into the house that's probably just gonna have some flashy lights well those, those are my thoughts exactly I, I don't think it's going to be anything more than a bit of theatrics and uh, uh, a few words spoken and things will start to quiet down again but we, we can't just rush this why not okay so we need to perform an experiment part of this thing too and I hand him a piece of paper what's this what's this this is the uh, request to start a new class that you're going to be teaching I, I, I don't have time to teach a new class I have my, my xenobiology lectures and I have exorcisms to perform so I can save my old job what oh yeah, yeah, yeah. this is part of that this is part of that but this is, uh, you take a look at the paper, It's the title of it is Field Studies of the Occult and Preternatural Creatures. You need to teach this class. Field studies? I haven't done field work in years. Right, but right now, you're going to do field work. Uh, I'll take it. I got a side note for this. Here, okay, sorry. Here's the point. I think I know how to get Vesper off campus. Do tell. Alright, so Vespi seems to go can go anywhere that is part of school grounds. If she tries to leave school grounds, things get ugly, right? I suppose. So we need to make school grounds portable. We need to make your classroom wherever you are. Something like within 101 leagues of Professor Juro, the uh, teacher of the field studies of the occult and preternatural creatures. That way, wherever you go, she can go. Once we can get her off campus, if this works, and I think this will work, we can figure out exactly what kind of range we can get. But this probably should work. This probably should give her the ability to travel at least somewhere with another teacher and if it doesn't work we at least eliminated a possibility but the numbers add up you're suggesting loopholes in the binding magic well yeah there's always loopholes in binding magic because you can't tie a knot to bind anything without making loops it's just preposterous enough to work they got woven up that keeps Vespi here is very specific but at the same time uh, I can't break it I, I don't know how to untangle it completely but we can loosen it and if we can loosen it we can get a little bit of wiggle room to be able to have her move around in different areas and that's a start and the better that works the more knowledge we can get about trying to undo the whole thing I, I don't know what to say. You must have spent must have spent hours on this. About four hundred and thirty. It's a project. It's a lock. I like locks. Right now, I'm trying to figure out how to take this one apart. Well, this will be a good opportunity to test your project, I suppose. So you need to turn that paper in to the head of your department. Actually, aren't you, aren't you the head of the department? Can't you just sign off yourself? I'm no longer the head of uh, abjuration, no. But xenobiology. Oh yeah, actually. Now that you think about it, 
Abercrombie's on hiatus. I don't know who decided that was a good idea. Yeah, I, I shall have this cleared by the end of the day, then. Excellent. So, we're going to obey our stuff? Or yes, the supplies, onward to the quartermaster. And from there, the scene cuts to uh, a back pasture. And this is one of the specially designed habitats that is way bigger on the inside. Now, these lions have been returned to Akodia for their own health. And so currently, this section of veld is empty. There's all the usual uh, prey critters and whatnot like that. But, you know, they're enjoying a must-needed respite and uh, recharge sort of thing. Essentially, this lion enclosure is going to be empty until the game stock can replenish itself. At which point a new pride of lions will be admitted and studied and whatnot until their return. This is how these things usually go. However, Finn, this is also the best place to get shooting practice anywhere in tall water. And so, the camera sweeps across this rolling veldt, this this plain grasslands, you know, scrubs and tall bushes and things like that, where lions normally lurk, antelopes and other things go about their business and make their lives. In the middle of this, there is an obviously placed fence post. And on this obviously placed fence post, there is a can. There is no sign of anything else. Just the can. The camera focuses in on it. And you see that it has the label of the Zippo Cola Company. The wind blows. The can tilts a bit, but it has some liquid in it to keep the weight in the bottom. There are crickets chirping. The scene holds for just a second. And then the can does a backflip off the post. And the camera cuts to where Finn has just taken a shot from 700 feet away. Finn's rifle is a rifle that was owned by his father at one point. It's old, but it's reliable, with a whalebone stock and a long barrel. So it's a good old chunk of gun. I think that the gun stock being carved out of whalebone is also scrimshot. Yep. Finn will jog over to the far end. And as he's jogging over, he's still sort of looking around in amazement at this place and how on earth this massive Serengeti can exist when it looks bigger than the entire campus of the university. Yeah, it goes off into the distance, right? Like you can see some Springboks uh, running away at the sound, still running away from the sound of the shot. And uh, like it just, it just, it, it's, it's grass until it's blue. It's hotter and drier too, which is the strangest thing. So Finn picks up the can, kind of tries to crumple it back vertical, puts it back in place. Since it has no more liquid in the bottom, a passing breeze first teeters and then topples it. There's a chiming from your pockets. Lunch. So as you turn around from this vast, expansive belt, the camera sees the uh, 10 by 20 window that looks out into the hall of the menagerie as you turn the walk back into the hallway. It stretches out in either direction. It's a circle, right? The university is built on all of these weird glyphic geometries. Seen from above, it must be quite a snarl of runes and glyphs and, you know, geomancies of all kinds, but from within, it's quite neat and tidy. And uh, down the hallway, you can see that Juro and Garnak are walking along excitedly with a piece of paper. Juro, all the paperwork is filed. It's official. If 
Garnack's theory holds, you could be uh, you could be out of here by the end of the day. So just to be clear, Garnack, if we're ten degrees off to the left, Vespa gets a mild case of nausea and possibly a headache. And ten degrees to the right, she explodes. Well, 10 degrees sounds a lot smaller than it is, but essentially, yeah. Okay, good enough. Afternoon, professors. Good day, Master Adler. Hey, hey how, how are you two feeling about a potential outing? Field trip. Finn grins. Do you boys have a plan? more than a, a little bit of a light show with a couple of doors knocking and uh, some various noises and smells and things and such I would not mind having a few extra hands on deck and in return I am sure you would be very keen on seeing your very first exorcism yes? and Juro seems obviously much more excited about what is ostensibly an incredibly boring process than anyone has any right to be. Finn, the main thing with these things is that field work always pays more. Like working at the university in the menagerie, helping Magra and all of the all the small jobs that you do, those will pay the rent and keep well, they'll keep the cold box moderately full. You won't starve. But if you want to eat anything good, um, field work pays better and more. And like you're only on the clock eight hours a day in town. In the field, you're paid 24 hours a day. It's extra credit. If you, as a student here at Tallwater, go and uh, assist, like professors, need assistance, right? These things are always, always, always lined up because you need to have some teaching assistant hours to graduate, even as a bachelor, even with a bachelor's here. Now, while it's true you are working your way through school or the university, you still can't get around that teaching assistancy. So this, why not? I mean, you've got a couple more years left in school, sure, but better to get it out of the way now. Professor, uh, I have a question for you about this outing. Uh, back when I at home, there was this, well, giant stag that roamed the forest near where I lived, and I took it upon myself to hunt that thing down, bring it back. And if I hadn't brought back the body, no one would have believed that I would have been able to take this stag down, because let me tell you, it was a monster. I guess my question is, what do you bring back from an exorcism to let everyone know that you actually accomplished it? Bring back? Well... How is everyone going to know that we did what we say we did? Surely my... Hmm. I have an idea. And Garnack just turns around and takes off running down to his lab. Where is he going now? I haven't... Squeak stomp, squeak stomp, squeak stomp, squeak stomp. I had not thought about that. Where is he going I think we'll all think better on in a full stomach. Go away! Well, that's no way to talk to your doctor, is it? Vesper still has a headache from the night before. Oh, and it was really, really early when this red-headed little demoness came into your room and turned all the lights on. But if you have something to help with a headache... Hmm. 
Well, just quick question, uh, physiologically wise. Uh, is it like the forefront of the head, the back of the head, or does it feel like something's eating your brain? The forefront of the head. Hmm, hmm. Stress and tension then. Okay. Uh, then we'll have to make some tea for that. Is it going to be cold tea? I don't see why I can't make it iced. Of course. Now, back to the reason I'm here. I'll bring you, I'll get someone to bring you down tea later. Um, I don't know if you've heard about our little field trip that Jero is planning, but I need to make sure that uh, you are well enough for travel. Wait, I get to go? And Vesper immediately sits up in her bed. Oh, yeah, but then the world takes a second to catch up with you. Oh, that was a bad idea. Wow, that's a headache. So, Magrin, roll medicine. That's a 19 on medicine. Okay, well, she's got a few things out of whack and her humans are clearly imbalanced. So when you climb up onto her bed behind her and stick her, stick your knee into the middle of her back and grab her left antler and give her right ear a push, everything goes crack at once in Vesper. That hurts enough for a big, sharp intake of breath, but then everything, even your headache, feels better. Have I told you how much I hate and love when you do that? Multiple times at this point, yes. Just, you have to put the knee lower down, otherwise it presses on that certain area of my back and I don't really like that. Unfortunately, due to the nerve endings in your chakra locations, it's the only way. Now, um, temperature as we know that to be a problem. Uh, we need to discuss a plan of action for transport. Um, we are staying in our typical climate, so it, that hasn't seemed to be a particular problem for you. Um, my concern is, do we have any plans in case of emergency if uh, there's a sudden rise in temperature? Well... I hadn't thought of what to wear, but in terms of a plan, there's always just throwing me in a body of water until I cool down. Oh, excellent, excellent. I can handle that. That, that should be easy enough. Um, I'll make sure to have to be prepared in that case. Um, Nextly, uh, food. I am aware, yes, your diet consists of cold foods. We will not be able to pack enough ice on this trip. Are you okay with room temperature foods? I will deal with room temperature foods, or I will just fast for a time. Well, maybe I'll have to think of another solution for that. Maybe I can ask Garnak to make me some kind of portable refrigerating device. A cooler, perhaps. Please, don't put yourself out on my account. It's my job to keep you healthy, and fasting is not healthy. Tell that to some of the young people here at this university. Believe me, I do. I put posters around about nutritional health and no one ever listens. Did you know insects are extremely high in protein, low in fat, but for some reason people just think they're disturbing to eat? Well, I've never had any, but there wasn't really insects where I lived. Well, you should really try them. They're quite delicious and just... People just don't get it. No, the starving themselves is a constant issue I'm dealing with. I'm seeing if I can find a way to make a nutrient potion that someone will drink, but unfortunately it's it's quite an unhealthy looking yellow color. I'm having trouble finding test subjects. Ah, well, I'm just prattling on anyway. So any other problems you're having or have noticed? Anything I can do to make your stay more comfortable? 
She says in a slightly sarcastic tone. Anything I could wish, Megrin, I either have or will not be able to have. So I am fine for now. And with that, there's a ding at the door. One moment. Vesper will very quickly change and then go to the door. When the door opens, it's Juro. Oh, it's you. Good day, Miss Vesper. Dr. Magrin? Dr. Juro? I guess Professor? Oh, wait. Maybe not for long. Oh, bird. Vesper sees him and just sends him a death glare. There's a very rude hand gesture. Magirin will interject. Now, before this gets too far, remember, we are going on a field trip, and I'd like everyone to be uninjured before we journey out. I wasn't aware you would be joining us, Doctor. Someone has to go with some sense of self-preservation. Juro's eyes just narrow. Yes, well... Vespa, uh, uh, just one moment. I need to have a word with her. You guys turn around to an approaching stomp squeak. Vespa, I know we left things off on a sour note the other night. Indeed. I, I want you to know that I, I am doing everything in my power to help you. And uh, we may have come up with a, a way of getting you, at least temporarily, off of university grounds. I don't know if Dr. Magrin has filled you in on any of this. She mentioned the possibility, but there was no specifics that were given. You probably won't explode. Most likely. Like, odds of exploding, real small. Oh, he's, Microscopic. he's, he's joking. It's just a joke. Yeah, yeah. I'm joking. Yeah. Uh, by the way, oh, here. And I, I hold up a crystal. It's like, this. This is your proof. Right here. What's this? It's a glyph stone. They use them to record hollows. Sometimes I, I use this thing to record some of the different experiments if you know, in case it might explode and knock me unconscious, I need to see what happened. But anyway, this could record what we do when you do your exorcism. It is a long, thin piece of leaded crystal glass. Uh, they're called glyph stones, but rarely are they actually made of any sort of gemstone. So you hold it up and it's heavy and it has that that sort of sheen to it that regular glass doesn't. And as you focus your eyes on it and shift your vision ever so slightly into the thomic spectrum just a bit, you can just make out the first etchings of the thomic glyphs on the inside of it. This one is mostly empty. As they get more and more full of recording data, the inside of the crystal gets more and more scratched with the Glyphs are scribed onto the inside of it. So with this, we could go through, record the exorcism, uh, keep note, keep track of everything that we have, and show that we complete it. When the house is clean afterwards, we have documented proof. Plus, you can go show this to the school board. Well, I don't know that this will pick up anything. The ghosts that possess such places tend to be it, they tend not to be visible. Well, it'll pick up you. It'll pick up me. It'll pick up uh, Vesper if we actually can get her off campus. But it'll pick up whoever's there and show the process happening and see what they have. Plus, not only that, you could offer to them as a, I don't know, teaching tool that they could show in other classes. Something that could actually show what it looks like to actually have a real exorcism being done. I don't suppose it could hurt. Well, thank you. If you say that'll work, sir, then I'll take your word for it. Yeah, these things are fairly new, and Finn, 
a lot of the other students are right into them, but those are the trust fund kids, right? Those are the ones with all kinds of money to afford all the newest Thaumatech out of Maunder and Dyer and Baylemina and places like that, right? Where the, the real cutting edge of the Imperial holotech comes from, because that's where you've seen this mostly. They have something like it in the Lakelands, but they don't tend to use things as disposable as the Empire does. Oh, yeah. Vesper, here, you need to sign this paper and sign up for the class. I need to do what? Oh, yes. I was go. I was getting to this part. It's mostly a formality, but it is actually integral to the entire experiment. Vesper will take the paper, read it, and just hold her hand out. I'd pull out a pen, or pull out a... Most likely some type of uh, ink ejecting contraption that I that I use for a pen. And she will sign her name in her native tongue, as this is an official document. It's an elegant glyph that kind of glows slightly orange as it sinks into the paper, which is weird because the ink itself is purple. Garnett grabs the pen and he writes his name below Vespers. And just grins at Juro. Well? suppose that's everything we need to do. Excellent. I really wanted to take this class. Can we eat now? Hey, Vesper. Yes? You have never seen the ocean. No, no, I have not. And yet here you are at this cafe on top of the Tallwater Harbor Wall. It's right on the lip of the fall, right? It's the furthest west you can go at this part of the city because after that everything else is 400 feet down vesper is trying her best to look unfazed well yeah um, you're, you certainly are trying and i mean as far as you're concerned you're putting every effort into it uh, everybody else at the table vesper hasn't been able to say anything because she's watching the birds fly around and the clouds in the sky the clouds vesper the clouds go off in above this this scattered blanket this blanket of blue that's all wrinkly and seethes and you know there's no liquid water where you're from not in big quantities so i mean to see it just stretch away to the edge of the world like that with all of those green islands scattered out all across it. And like birds, and you can see the ships sailing in and out, and you can see the city of Tallwater stretching away on both the north and south shores of Tallwater Bay, pretty much as far as your eyes can follow. This combined with the fact that she has actually left university campus yeah, she's very, very quiet. Now, everybody else, it's been about 15 minutes since the waitstaff has been back. The service has been terrible because as soon as this person who appeared to be vaguely human, well, mostly human, is, yeah, Humanish. Well, you could probably get a better lock on them if they ever came back, but got one look at Vesper and all the color drained out of their face and then they just went away. The order eventually got there. Somebody else brought it. You can't get a drink for love nor money. This place is terrible.
Uh, sorry, guys. Like nobody sorry, else sorry. seems to be having a service problem. I normally at the bar. I lean over to Vesper and say, would you like me to go and speak to them? No. They're scared. As you were when we first met. I wasn't... I wasn't scared. I saw the way that you looked at me. It was professional curiosity. And he thought he was going to get fired. Yes, very much that. Yes, but when a person you have never seen before is waving a sword in your face, there's a little bit of fear there. Apprehension, let's call it. Don't worry, Vesper, you scared the crap out of me. Thank you, Ganak, I certainly try. Very welcome. The pheasant pie isn't bad, Magrin. A little salty. The martini, though. First rate. I sip it slowly, but it's very interesting. Um, pheasant, it's always bird with this town. Always bird. <laughs> I ask uh, Garnak what he decided to order. He tends to know what's good around here. Oh, I, I normally just get the brioche and they have a nice uh, soft cheese that they get from uh, one of the local dairies around here. Yeah, say one thing about Highmoor. You can get some good dairy products in tall water for sure. Garnak, I worry about your diet. How is your vegetable intake these days? Um, I eat lots of things that eat vegetables. Magrin has a disappointed mom face. A big pout. Mm -mm. You might say that he has a purely vegetarian diet. Not one speck of meat in that beer, for instance. Well, yeah, everything he eats is either from a vegetable or was once a vegetarian. Magrin makes a mental note for to make sure that there's more vegetables in the rations we take with us. Yes, because unfortunately for the boys, Magrin, equivocation is not a food group. Well, our first field trip's a success. So, when do we head to this haunted house? Tomorrow, I would say. Get a bright and early start. Do you have some sort of idea of what we're facing in there? No, he doesn't. I... No, but I can make several educated guesses, and I will be prepared for all of them. Now, as Juro cracks his book and begins to explain, the camera pulls out of the room to take a high perspective, which focuses on the sky and the tumbling clouds, which race across the horizon. As it dives back down, we see the city of Tallwater from above on all its many levels with its various streets and alleys and pathways, drawing clever geomantic diagrams to harness the power of this singular location. As the city perches atop and around the massive waterfalls which give it its name, we see the coastline of Tallwater Bay stretch away as far as the eye can see to the west. Now the camera focuses on the northern shore past the residential neighborhoods and the business districts to a town on the outskirts of Tallwater. 
a place that's close enough to the main city that it only ever gets called by its own name by the people who live there. All the same, welcome to Cape Largo. Years ago, this was the place for the wealthy of Tallwater to put their summer houses. When this place was new, people flocked here in droves, and its boardwalks boomed with families enjoying their summer vacation. The latest in mechanical amusements sprung up along with shooting galleries, kinematoscopes, games of chance. Millionaires built their mansions on the sand or carefully constructed, cleverly cantilevered castles to climb the craggy coastal cliffs of Karanjanor. Yes, indeed. Once, Cape Largo was the place to be in this area. Now, it still does a decent trade, but things have cooled off in recent decades, and what once was new has aged, some of it better than others. Still, you have to appreciate the atmosphere of it all. I mean, this is where Vogue was born, or the socio-political leanings of the Zhuzha art movement. The millionaires still live here, but the mood of the place is a lot more subdued. Maybe the shines wore off. Maybe it's just late in the season. But all the same, as the waves break on the shore and the sea wind rustles the coastal grasses in the sand, you can still hear the sounds of families having fun in the summer. Now, you necessarily have to look out towards the south at this island, which contains Hawthorne House. The coast stretches away to the west and the east. The bay, you can just see the other side of it from where you stand. The neighborhood you're in is in these big estate beach houses. In its heyday, Hawthorne House was a beautiful place with a terracotta roof and, you know, eminently well-worked stone walls. The gardens which surrounded the place and followed the stairs up were maintained by a legion of servants and the place was reachable by little jolly boats which tied up to the mooring points at the base of these rocky islands or by a stone causeway, which is how most of the goods and services got in. About halfway across the causeway was a drawbridge, which could be raised from the island side for privacy's sake. Now, that fell into the water about 40 years ago, but the frame still exists. Are we on the shore? Can I walk into the ocean? You're about... 50 yards off the water, but yeah. I'm just going to start walking towards the ocean. Well, as the omnibus pulls away, we see Garnack is folding up the receipt and tucking it away in his gear. Garnack? I'd head over to the rest of the party and I'd tell Juro how much he has to pay for the bill on the omnibus. Very good. So, anybody who looks around will notice the, uh, the horned devil girl padding off on her big fuzzy rabbit feet towards the surf. I'm taking notes on the range and how far she's able to move away from Juro. So Juro, here it is. The place has seen better days. Uh, none of the windows remain. And uh, from what you can see from where you stand, I mean, it took most of the day to get here. And you left early this morning. All the same, for as annoying as the trip has been, there has been some small satisfaction in seeing how much it thrills Vesper to be out. Oh, yeah, I haven't stopped uh, grinning to myself over that. But uh, here you stand in front of Hawthorne House. And like I said, the place has seen better days. That said, it's still majestic 
it's just not as beautiful anymore. It's traded that comeliness for a sinister sort of majesty. It is the sort of place that teenagers dare each other to go into and spend the night. It is the sort of place that braver teenagers might go to drink stolen liquor and have sex. There is all kinds of graffiti on the causeway and the rotten bridge. From here, you can see that, you know, the usual fuck yous and various pictures of genitalia and other secondary sexual characteristics of the various species that live around here, all painted along with strange glyphs and pictures of what have you. Poster bills all over the posts. Um, yeah. Now that said, the rest of the neighborhood is in pretty good shape. There are, like, obviously, there was an omnibus that came out here. You can see that there are, like, stacks of milk bottles at the ends of lanes, waiting for the dairyman to come by and pick them up. The place is still a lived-in neighborhood, so, I mean, how haunted can this place actually be? In my experience, quite haunted. As Vesper is walking towards the ocean, she's just going to kind of see if she can feel anything unnatural, um, whether that be through her own senses or something, she senses something from the hells. If you got your feet on that island, you'd know. You could feel it, right? You could just reach down into the dirt and commune as you do. But here you are standing on this rocky, sandy shore, and a little crab goes sidling on by you with its claws high, with a definite don't mess around on its waving eye stalks as it walks sideways into the water. Vesper is going to very, very cautiously walk, like, ankle deep into the surf and just see what it feels like for her. The water is pleasantly cool. She gets a smirk and starts walking further in. Uh, Vespa, darling, don't go too far. We're not quite sure what the range is on this. Vesper is going to turn around to look at Juro give him a smirk, and then fall backwards into the water. Vespa? And she is just going to sink and lay. The water covers you up with this liquid embrace all over. You can just see the tips of her antlers sticking out of the water. She'll be down there for about 30 seconds and then come up for a moment. Juro will have a moment of panic, but do his best to rein in his uh, excitement uh, because he can still see her antlers and uh, does not want to look like a panicky fool. Finn. Just strikes you as a real good spot for sharks. Finn will hop over the edge of the causeway onto the shore and walk over near to where Vesper's laying. But he's not going to go in until she sits up. Like right now, she's at about 18 inches, er, 18 inches of depth, right? And that is just about as deep as you think would be safe to go. Yep, he's gonna make himself ready, but he's not gonna encroach on what he thinks she's doing. Vesper will stand up back to the shore and just kind of stand there, hands floating on the top of the water. Lots in that sea that you may not want to meet up with, ma'am. Trust me, I know. Like what? Beasts? Longfish. You seen one of them before? No. But then again, 
I've never seen this before. Word of advice. It, it may be cool, but don't drink the water. And don't go too deep. Or what? She looks over her shoulder and quirks an eyebrow. You might get eaten. Hmm. That's interesting. Don't turn your back on the sea, ma'am. Oh. Well, I haven't. Have I? Mm, not yet. Yes, I just say that's quite enough, Miss Vesper. Please come out of there. Vesper laughs and then turns around and walks out and, you know, she's a dripping wet gorgeous tiefling, so how that wants to work. When she gets out of the surf, Finn reaches into his pack and hands her a towel. Runelanders is recorded live and curated, produced, and edited by me with indispensable help from Cassie Goodwin-Harrison, Matthew Harrison, Chris Stockavaz, Greg Setnick, and Carrie Copley. All the usual people played all the usual parts, and if you want to know more about them, you can find out all about them, all about the little easter eggs that I scattered through these episodes, and so much more at runelanders.com. Watch for our vastly improved website coming up soon. That'll about do it for this episode. Next time on Moonlanders, we're gonna have some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. We'll see you then. I'm DM Matt Adam. I'm DM Good Guy. Reminding you to roll high and don't die. Until next. Take good care. Sure. <laughs>